Good afternoon, and thank you for coming. A fellow died, as people do, and went to heaven. And he asked St. Peter if he was qualified to get in. St. Peter said, well, what good did you do with your life? And the fellow said, nothing I can remember. He said, what are you, how old are you? The fellow said, 52. He said, you can't remember doing anything good? Well, he said, I'm no great sinner, but I, I mean, you know, I just can't remember doing anything good except once I gave 15 cents to a beggar. And St. Peter said, well, that, that just doesn't sound like too much. And the fellow said, especially if your motive isn't clear. And he said, my motive wasn't any good at all. I just gave it to him to get rid of him. He was pestering me. And St. Peter said, I better talk this over with the boss. And he came back and said, hold your hand out. The fellow put his hand out. He put three nickels in it. He said, it's not enough to get you into heaven. I was told to return your 15 cents until you go to hell. <laughs> That's not a very nice way to begin a talk on praying, but I will. I'm here today simply to make some comments on the 11th step of the program of AA. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand Him, praying only for a knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. So I'm not here to give a lesson in Catholic theology. It has nothing to do with that. I'm just here to give a few definitions involving our 11th step because in the minds of many people, who enter the sober life and have been estranged from God for years, there are many, many questions about prayer, uh, about fear of God, uh, even about what is prayer, how do you pray, and so on, and so on, and so forth. So what I would like to do is just give some definitions. And the very first is the definition of prayer itself. What is it? It is some kind of communion or communication with God. Now, <clears throat> why should we pray? Let's, let's go way back to the beginnings of AA. Bill and Dr. Bob were not two men who sat down to try to come up with a beautifully uh, explained manual on monastic spirituality. Please remember who they were and where they came from. They were drunks on a point of death who simply wanted to survive. Through pure trial and error, which is the most scientific way of learning anything, they went into the laboratory of human experience and came up with these 12 principles to live by. That is a skeleton of life and how to live it. It is a, in pure skeletal form, they laid down the principles essential to a happy, effective, and productive life. Strangely enough, step 11, prayer, they considered essential. Please believe this, please. If you could achieve the sober life, through eight of those principles, that's all there'd be. These are essentials. 
If you could get sober and stay sober through two steps, that's all there'd be. But there are 12, and one of them is prayer. Like it or not, it's there. What is prayer? It is some sort of contact with the God of one's own understanding. Why should we pray? I used to go into, and I will momentarily, the fact that prayer is the most God-like thing you can do. Because praying is doing what God has done from all eternity. Did you ever wonder how this perfect intelligence, what did he do before creation when he was the only thing in existence with a divine intellect, the only thing he could contemplate was himself, perfect being, and the only thing he could love was himself, to know and love perfect being. I remember from the days in grade school, what is prayer? It is a lifting up of the mind and the heart to God. And so when we pray, we are doing something godlike that no other creature can do except the angels. Man is the only one capable of doing what God does, knowing and loving his Creator. Now, why should alcoholics and drug addicts pray? Ladies and gentlemen, simply because it is fitting. If any of you need an explanation of why you should deepen your knowledge and love of the God to whom you're attributing your sanity or your life, your sobriety, there's nobody on earth can explain it. You either see that or you don't. It is only fitting to adopt a deepening relationship with the person who's given you life through your sobriety. What more is there to say? It's only fitting that we should do that. A power greater than ourselves who could restore us to the sanity of rational living, not putting into our being, into our bodies, a substance that can destroy it. And so, it just seems fitting and normal to want to pursue a relationship with such a person who has given us that great gift. Now, what kinds of prayer are there? Well, there are many kinds. What is the purpose of prayer? There are many kinds. Let's look into the purpose of prayer. Many people consider prayer to be only petition. And a lot of evangelists you hear, the power of prayer is that it's so strong it gets you anything you ask for. Let's watch the power of prayer. What are the purposes? There are four of them. To adore, to thank, to express sorrow for having broken the rules, and finally, to ask. Petition is last on the list. What do you mean by adoration? What do you mean by the worship of God? You know how the ancient Greeks came to a conclusion that existence is better than nothing? Anything that exists, even an inanimate stone, has one thing in common with God. It is. A flower or a blade of grass is a little higher in the hierarchy of beings because it has two things in common with God. It is 
and it's alive. Animal life, as we know it, dogs, cats, and so on, they have what is called a sentient life. They, they, they feel, not only physically, but even emotionally. Scold your dog, watch the tail go between its legs. Go down to get the evening paper at the, you know, at the road and come back it's as if you've been away for a year. That old tail goes like that. That's a little higher. The human being can think. This is what makes us godlike. We can think and we can love. And so, since man can acknowledge God as his creator and himself as a creature of God, we're expected to do so. And that's what worship is. You are God, I am creature. You made me out of nothing, and I'm acknowledging that. That's adoration. And all prayer, whether it is personal or whether it is community prayer, should begin with that. Oh God, my creator and redeemer and so on. Gratitude. Every person alive has reasons to be grateful to the God who gave him being in the first place, and especially for the addict, a second shot at life again. Sorrow for having broken the rules. He only laid down ten rules for us to live by. And finally, petition for our needs. By the way, they tell the story of Moses coming down out of the hills with the two tablets. He says, I got some good news and I got some bad news. He said, number one, I got him down to ten. Number two, adultery is still on the list. (laughs) So when we break any of those rules, we express our sorrow for it. All right, there are different kinds of prayer. And I'll explain why in a minute. There is personal prayer and communal or community prayer. Personal prayer may be the prayer that is purely personal of meditation. Somebody said, what's the difference between prayer and meditation? Not a whole lot, except meditation is a specific kind. Meditation to think. This is where we develop a life of prayer that's purely personal. I think my own thoughts about God, and I love Him, according to those thoughts. Or, since I don't know a whole lot, I read the writings of other people. I consult a clergyman. How many of us have been away from our churches because of addiction? And so that's one way of getting well all over, is to get well spiritually by, what do you do? You ask a man who owns one. Go to your clergyman to find out. Ask the questions that have been plaguing you. Try to find out something about this relationship you should be having with the God who gave you the gift of sobriety. Uh, The other is memorized or formulated prayer. How often, inside of your own soul, personally, with nobody around, have you recited the Lord's Prayer, the Serenity Prayer, or any other prayer? Uh, You can say any prayer you learned at your mother's knee. Uh, Acts of faith, hope, charity, sorrow, you know, contrition, sorrow for sins. And any prayer that is said internally, alone, is quite personal, whether somebody else wrote it or not. Now we come to community prayer. 
this is the worship of everybody together. Now, the third commandment says, keep holy the Sabbath. God looks at each of us and says, I created you. I want you. I don't want anything that is mine to be lost. I want your thoughts. I want your heart. I want your prayers, your own personal prayers. Now, that's individual. I know with my mind, my education, my background, and you know with yours. And I love with my heart, and you love with yours. That's all individual. He says, once a week, do it my way. That's your way. Once a week, do it my way. Get together as my sons and daughters and worship me together. Now, I would like to share something with all of you. The man who saved my life spent a year of his with Bill and Dr. Bob. He was so intrigued by this whole notion of people with the same problem, sharing it and talking back and forth. They also share strength and love and stay sober together. And he spent a year of his life with those two men. And Bill Wilson said these words to him. AA is not anyone's religion. We are a therapy for a disease. Nor do we wish you to substitute AA for your religion. He said, whatever you were before your sobriety, you should be a better one afterwards. Your family life, your work life, your social life, but above all else, your life with God should improve with sobriety. And he said, we are not your religion. If you wish to go to a Sunday morning meeting, go before or after church. He said, what AA does is set you free from the compulsion to use chemicals that separate you from God. We will set you free and open the door to God. Now you take it from there. You take it from there. So we have nothing to do with it. You take it from there. Now what do you mean by community prayer and what is its worth? It will do for me what I so often fail to do myself. First of all, you worship together. And you offer gratitude together. You express sorrow for sin together. And you ask for needs together. What are some of the needs? Now, you have to be careful of judging a religion by some of its spokesmen. Uh, too often I've heard people wanting to cop out from their religion and say, well, the nuns I had in school were very cruel and they whacked your fingers and all that sort of thing. The nuns and the priests I had in school made me want to be a priest. They taught me about a loving God. But so often we, we do selective remembering and we use it as a cop-out to get away from our obligations to God. But... Uh, Sometimes uh, those who preach, uh, preach awfully long. Uh, it, it was a snowy day in the country, and this old preacher got up. He had only one parishioner show up. He was the only guy that had a horse uh, strong enough to brave the cold and drag the sleigh to church. And he spoke for an hour and 25 minutes. And afterwards, he asked the old farmer, he said, well, what did you think of the sermon? Well, and he said, I'm just minded of the story. 
the old farmer that brought the load of hay out for the cows and only one showed up. He said uh, he didn't give the whole load to the one cow. (laughs) But they tell the story of an old Irish priest. God, he was that way. He had diarrhea of the mouth and uh, sometimes constipation of thought. But anyway, the old boy got up one Sunday and on and on and on. And Mrs. O'Rourke had a little wee baby about five months old. And that kid started screaming. I mean, really screaming. And she was so embarrassed, she got up and genuflected and started to walk out of church. And old Monsignor (laughs) O'Brien says, Ah, Mrs. O'Rourke, you don't have to go at all. The little fella isn't bothering me one bit. She turned around and said, Maybe so, Father, but you sure are bothering him. (laughs) Anyway. Baptisms, weddings, and funerals are all taken care of by the community of our brothers and sisters. Baptisms, it was one of these river baptisms, you know, three submersions or immersions. And the minister dunked the fellow down once. He said, do you believe? The fellow sputtering. He said, I believe. Boom, down he went again. Pulled him up, sputtering. He said, do you believe? He said, certainly I believe. And a third time, and he came up just choking. He said, do you believe? The fellow said, yes, I believe. He said, what do you believe? He said, I believe you're trying to drown me. <laughs> I don't know whether that happened or not. Weddings. Uh, when people come to me and say they want to get married, I always say, see a priest. <laughs> I mean, in 50 years, I've had about 10 weddings. And uh, I've never married a bride to an altar boy, but I came close twice, and I don't ever want to go through that again. Funerals. Um, a priest showed up at a country parish one time. He came at night. He had driven in from the big city. And the very next morning, he had a funeral. And the man was 52-year-old that had died, uh, you know, a couple of days before. And he didn't know him. He didn't know anybody there. So at the funeral mass, uh, at the homily right after the gospel, he just gave a general sermon on uh, uh, Christian death and resurrection. And then, uh, as you know, is done quite often now, uh, he wanted some people to come up and recall something good from the man's life. He said it is customary now to recall the good about the deceased. Now, can anybody here remember any good that they know about this man? And they all sat there. Church was packed. He said, look, surely some of you know, this is a small town, some of you must know the man in the past 52 years, some of the good that this man had done. When he was a complete reprobate, nobody was going to get up there. And he was really irritated. He said, doggone it, we're going to stay here till sunset till somebody can come up here and say something good about this man. And with that, an old drunk came staggering up from the last pew. He hopped into the pulpit and grabbed the microphone. And he said, his brother was worse. <laughs> it was the only thing good he could remember about this guy. In most public worship, 
They pray for the good of mankind, and they pray for the souls of the departed. You know what consolation that should mean to you? That after you're dead, the church, whether you're aware of it or not, will be praying for you, if no one else does. And then there is this thing called the divine office. Basically, it's a monastic prayer of the Psalter, the book of Psalms, and the writings of the very early theologians and fathers of the church. There's an adaptation of it called the breviary, a shortened form that every priest, under obligation, that's why it's called the divine office, it's the official prayer of the church. When I was first ordained, it would take between 55 minutes and an hour to recite. Today it takes about 25 minutes. It's in English today. Uh, I have a copy at home and a copy in the office by the uh, by the chapel there. I read the office every morning when I uh, go over for Mass. I read it before Mass. And as for you and the whole human race, somewhere in the world, around the clock, thousands of priests are praying the divine office. It's not a personal prayer. I am an official prayer for mankind. So if you're too busy to pray, there are the likes of us worldwide who do it for you and who pray on your behalf and for your good. That's a consoling thought. It's, it, it's a wonderful thought to think of. What is the best kind of prayer? Many people feel that meditation is a very personal type thing, and it takes work and so on. That's a whole lot better than such a thing as, you know, we Catholics have a devotion called the Rosary, uh, a series of 50 Hail Marys uh, to our Blessed Mother. Is one better than another? Why are there different kinds of prayer? Why are there memorized prayers? Why is, is there personal prayer? Why is there community prayer? To fulfill different needs. And one kind is not better than another. You do not wear a parka on the equator. You do not wear bathing suits in the Arctic. Meditation is wonderful. If you feel good, if it's at an hour that you probably won't fall asleep, if you have a lovely prayer book that will guide you and give you thoughts to think, a whole lot of ifs. Now, have you ever tried to meditate with a toothache? You ever tried to meditate after major surgery? There are times where you can't meditate. There are times where you can't pray in so many other ways. And you know the word amen. At any public worship service, there's a role that the clergy play, there's a role you play. That's why we have to have prayers that are written out, formulae of prayers, so that it's common to us all. Now, the clergyman will read the prayer, your response is, so be it, I agree, yes. And the word is amen. That single word is as important as the clergyman's spelling out the whole thing. 
It's, it's a give and take in the worship of God. One person leads it and the rest follow, you know, what, whatever your religion lays down for the service itself. Uh, the best prayer, the perfect prayer, obviously, is the prayer of our Lord. It covers everything. Watch the worship, the adoration. Our Father who art in heaven, creator, supreme being over all. Hallowed be thy name. May your name be hallowed or reverenced everywhere. May your kingdom come. His is a kingdom of hearts. He tries to win our hearts, our devotion, our following. May your will be done on earth just as it is kept in heaven by the angels. What is the will of God? You must understand that basically it's twofold. Number one is God's very specific will. The Ten Commandments and the other things, you know, in the life of Christ that he spells out that he wants of us. That's very specific. And it's quite clear. You, you, don't, you don't need to consult anybody or anything to know what God wants of you. He wants you to do certain things and avoid certain things. And then there is this, the permissive will of God. He allows things to happen because He can't interfere with them. When God created angels and men, He gave us freedom of choice. Why? If we had to do good, there'd be no merit in it at all. The only way we can get credit for keeping his specific will is if we had the freedom of choice to choose otherwise. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, how can there be a hell? How can there not be? If he saved us, he saved us from what? If there's no hell, the crucifixion is a joke. It's crazy. What did he die for? What did he save us from? He allows things to happen because he can't interfere with our freedom of choice. Why did he do that? God knows and he won't tell. The Second World War, oh, it's God's will. No, it wasn't. It was Hitler's. He allows that. If he interfered with that and deprived Hitler of his freedom of choice, he'd be destroying the human nature that he created. What do you mean by keeping the will of God. It means by doing or not doing what is spelled out here and accepting what happens here. Uh, let's say your mother or your father or your son or your daughter is murdered. Is that God's will? No. He permitted it. It was the will of the murderer. Well, if I can accept that, God, there's nothing I can do to change that. But somehow or other, when anything negative happens to us, we kind of turn on God and start to beat at Him. Uh, that too can be a cop-out. We don't blame God for having given us the loved one and thanking Him for that every day. It's only when something negative or painful happens to us that we are so hurt that we feel we have to lash out and hit somebody and God understands that. His shoulders are pretty broad. He's infinite. Um, 
What are the various stages of prayer? Prayer is difficult. It is awfully hard to live the spiritual life. What is the spiritual life? It's your love affair with God. And that's a difficult thing because he's invisible. And so it takes great mental and heartfelt effort to pursue it. And there are three stages of it. The purgative way, the affective way, and the unitive way. And it parallels a human love affair. What do you mean by the purgative way? When we enter the sober life, there's a lot of things in our life that have to go. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory. Made known to God, self, and others the exact nature of our wrongs in order to have them forgiven. Uh, made a list of our shortcomings. Asked God to get rid of them. Made a list of people we had harmed. Tried to make up for it. We try to clean out of our lives the things that have separated us from God. And then as time goes by, we come more and more affectionate towards Him. I begin to appreciate my sobriety. I begin to appreciate being decent. I begin to appreciate being respected. And so my, the heart part of my spiritual life sets in. Now, neither one of those stages uh, is ever completed. I mean, we'll be trying to get rid of our lives, uh, negative habits until the day we die. And we will, will uh, try to improve our affection for God until the day we die. What do you mean by a unitive way? Have you ever seen a couple, a human couple? Maybe some of your parents are this way. They worked at it. They worked at their marriage. And as years go by, so help me, this has happened in some cases. Sometimes they even begin to look like each other. You ever notice that? Really. And as time goes by, they love with the language of the heart. Silence. They don't have to say anything. They're just content to be in the presence of someone who is such an intimate part of their own being. And usually when one dies, the other will follow very shortly. One time, Father John Selner in a homiletics class pointed out, what do you mean by the unitive way with God? Uh, it's probably a legend. I can only imagine that it is. He said there was an old Italian man, Luigi, in a little mountain village. He worked, as all of his contemporaries did, in the vineyards. And yet every day of his life he spent an hour in the local village church. 4.30 to 5.30, they say you can set your watch by him. And they just took him to be a part of village life. Old Luigi going into the church. And one day a bunch of his buddies were playing bocce ball. And uh, one of them brought up the subject, what's he doing there? Have you ever found yourself five minutes early for church and you say every prayer you know and you got four and a half minutes left? It's the longest five minutes of the week. Well, what's poor old Luigi doing in there for an hour every day? So they agreed that one of them would ask him. And uh, he come out at 5.30. I want him to say, Luigi, you know, we've noticed all our lives, you go in there every day at 4.30 to 5.30. So what do you do? 
And he just thought for the longest time. He said, well, when I come down out of the hills after long days of work, he said, I'm tired. So I go in and I genuflect that act of homage, genuflexus, bend the knee. And he would go down and genuflect. And he said, I'd kneel there for a while trying to make myself realize I am in the presence of my God. And then he said, I sit down. And he paused for the longest while. You know, what do you do for the hour? He said, I look at him and he looks at me and we love each other. The prayer of union. Uh, if you're lucky, you may meet 10, 15 seconds of that in your own lifetime. But uh, I remember once, I don't know whether you've had the privilege of catching a saint in prayer. I one time went up to Rip's room to get him. And he was seated in a straight back chair, just quietly, silently saying his rosary. God, I was mesmerized. I was absolutely mesmerized. I could hardly take my eyes off of it. Two old monks were talking one day about distractions at prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first entered the seminary, we used to have a half-hour meditation before morning mass. And boy, it shot by. And I used to look around. Some of the guys were falling asleep. It was from 6 to 6.30. And I was wondering, this is exciting. Why are... How in the name of God can they fall asleep during it? Well, after six months, I found out that it's quite easy. (laughs) But these two old monks were talking, and one of them said, I have a terrible time with distractions. He said, I'll go into the the chapel in the afternoon for a 15-minute visit, and I'll be in there. And 14 minutes of it, I'm thinking about this, that, or the other thing, some project I'm working on, some book I'm in, whatever. He said, it's driving me crazy. And he said, I'm sure it displeases the Lord. And the other monk said, hey, I I have no problem with distractions. When I pray, I pray. And the first monk said, "Uh, you see that Arabian stallion of mine over in the paddock? He said, oh, yeah, he's quite a horse. He said, he's yours if you can say one prayer without distraction. Our Father, who are... Does a saddle and bridle go with him? <laughs> Sometimes we're so distracted we don't even know we're distracted. So. I'm absolutely certain, as some of you wonder, what your status with God is. If you listen to nothing else, please get this into your memory. If I set out to do good and accomplish that, it's only because of the grace of God. He said, without me, you can do nothing. And so the theologians conclude that every act of goodness is a result of the prompting of a divine grace we call an actual grace. If I fail, it's because of my own human weakness. So really, success or failure is almost incidental. Ladies and gentlemen, my desire to please God is what pleases God. If you fail by a deliberate act of the will, that's another thing. You can be guilty there. But if you fail through pure human weakness, that's not 
I mean, it's neither here nor there. If you succeed, it's because of his strength. So the only thing that can come from my heart is my desire to please God. And if I want to please him, that is what pleases him. Somebody once said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, a little kid tells his mother, well, I wanted to do that, Mom, but I forgot. The road to heaven is paved with good intentions. Don't swallow that stuff. The road to heaven is paved with good intentions. And my good intentions are what pleases the dear Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. Ask and you'll receive. The receive is not important because we will receive by being given a yes, a no, or a different way from what we ever dreamed. Give us this day our daily bread. If I ask the dear Lord for what is necessary for my good, he will see that I get it. Now, what I think is necessary for my good may not be. And so he can answer his prayers in whatever way he wants. But it is only someone who is attuned to the mind of God can see his answers when they come. This whole sober life was, you know, as they say in the big book, beyond my wildest dreams. We ask for peace of mind and peace of soul and peace of conscience. And what comes makes our... (laughs) What we dreamed or thought we wanted or should be, it almost pales into insignificance with what he gives us. Uh, the whole Lord's Prayer, of course, is a prayer of gratitude to God. We ask him to keep us free from sin. And that is the perfect prayer. But the things that you and I should remember out of this talk are our morning and night prayers There's a line in one of the Psalms. This is Latin up here, obviously. Ad te, to you, Domine, O Lord. De luce, at dawn, at first light. Levavi, I have lifted up my soul. The Jews had a practice of offering the first fruits of everything to God. The new baby animal that opens the womb, the firstborn, the perfect animal that had to be spotless and no fault attached to it, offered to God. The first fruits of the vineyard, offered to God. The first fruits of the field, offered to God. The first fruits of the human soul belonged to Him. In step three, you made a decision. You made a decision to turn your life over the care of God. You carry out that decision every morning, de luce, when you open your eyes. And this changes the slag, the dross of your day into spiritual gold. This is a prayer that I have said all my life, really. Oh my God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, one God and three persons perfectly equal, I adore you here present. Where is that? I adore you here, Prince. I acknowledge you to be my Creator, Redeemer, and Sovereign Lord, and I place myself entirely at your disposal. Every thought, word, and deed, 
every beat of my heart, every beat of my pulse, every breath that I breathe, all that I am and have, all that I shall do or suffer this day, all for your glory and my salvation. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I place my trust in you. Dear God, I am an alcoholic. Please keep me today from a drink and all thoughts of and desire for a drink. Thank you with all my heart for yesterday. Make me grateful. Make me love you. And then a prayer to my guardian angel. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here. Ever this day be at my side to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. That prayer takes me a little less than one minute. And it makes everything in that day a gift to God. The other day I was signing uh, invitations to an open house. One after another, name, name, name. And it hit me. I offered this up to God this morning. This action is a prayer. It's a prayer. Every, everything in the day is a prayer by virtue of that morning offering. And at night we go to bed with an act of sorrow on our lips and ask God for whatever we wish to ask Him. There was a, uh, a salesman who sold heavy farm equipment. And every time he went through this one little town, after he finished his day's work, he always stayed with a farmer friend of his, did for years. And one day he phoned him ahead and he came. And uh, the fellow said, my brother's coming from Michigan. I hope you don't mind if my eight-year-old shares the bed with you. He said, no, that'd be fine. Well, he was quite tired. And after dinner, he climbed into his pajamas and got in bed. And about an hour later, the little boy came in and knelt down on the other side of the bed. And it hit that man like nothing had ever hit him before. And he was, he was just ashamed. He said, I haven't said my prayers in years. And he said, here's an eight-year-old kid being uh, an example to me. And very sheepishly, he got out of the bed and knelt down on his side. And that little boy looked at him. He said, mister, what are you doing? Well, so I'm doing the same thing you are. He said, well, Pop's going to give you hell because the pot's on this side. (laughs) Your morning offering is the most important thing you'll ever do. Yesterday is but a dream. Tomorrow, a vision. But today, well lived, makes every yesterday a dream of happiness, every tomorrow a vision of hope. Look well to this day. This is the only day you have at your disposal. And I will conclude by saying the obvious. Prayer is the food of the soul. Don't starve yourself. And so the beauty of prayer is that we can indeed pray for each other. Or Ramus, let us pray pro invicem. I have prayed for you, most especially for the past 40 years of my own sobriety.
and I would ask you to return the favor. Oremus pro invicem, let us pray for each other. I thank you for being here, and I thank you very much for doing me the honor of listening to me. Good day. Thank you. Thank you.